welcome to the Scarf Free Foundation podcast. My name's Charlotte Coates and I'm Head of Research Funds at the Foundation. We've been away for a little while and now are delighted to be back and about to launch a second series of podcasts about all things Scarf Free. Uh, we've been busy over the first part of 2023 uh, with a couple of really excellent events and have also been making good progress with our research. But perhaps the biggest news is in April, our chief executive of nearly 22 years standing, Brendan Ely, moved on to Pastures New. We'd like to thank Brendan for everything he did for the foundation and wish him all the best for the future. So I wanted to bring you this bonus episode, which is an interview with our new chief executive, Lieutenant General Richard Nugy. Uh, Richard recently joined the organisation, so I caught up with him to find out a little bit more about who he is, what motivates him and his hopes for our scar-free future. So here's Richard. Yes, so uh, my name is Richard Nugy and I'm the new um, Scarfree Foundation Chief Executive. I've come to this from a very roundabout route. I'm a soldier or was a soldier for 36 years and was a trustee for Scarfree as part of my last few years in defence in the army, where I finished up being something called the Chief of Defence People, so responsible for all people. And that, of course, included policy for wounded, injured and sick. And that was the sort of link to Scarfree. Um, but now I've, I've retired. Um, and so I've taken this on to uh, really try and sort of see if we can if we can make a huge difference in this area. As Chief Executive, can you give me a little round robin about what you're responsible for? Oh, well, I think just about everything. But I work very closely um, with the chair, obviously, Sir Bruce Keogh, and the board of trustees. But I suppose where um, I want to put my focus, I want to understand all the science as best I can. I'm not a scientist. I'm doing it um, from a very layman perspective and trying to understand how a layman who doesn't understand medical science, how we can persuade people that actually the vision of uh, preventing scarring uh, within a generation is something that actually is possible. I think I'm probably um, going to focus mostly on building a development board and so that we have a strong team, mostly volunteers, but a strong team who are going to help us raise the necessary money to really make a difference in this science. And I think that's really exciting. I mean, Scarfree has done fantastically of raising 50 million in the last 17 years, which is an extraordinary amount for a relatively small uh, charity, a charity that punches well above its weight. And so actually, for me to try and build the ability to raise the next 50 million is what I'm trying to do. And I hope it won't take 17 years, but we'll have to wait and see. So you say development board. Um, For people who don't know about fundraising, about charities, can you clarify exactly what that is? Well, my interpretation of it, and I'm sure it'll be different for other people, but my interpretation of that is is having some key individuals who aren't members of the trustee board who aren't paid, they're not employees of the charity, but who are, if you like, ambassadors to raise the profile at the sort of level that will bring in funds. And so the development, you know, the chair of the development board, and I don't know who that will be yet, but the chair of the development board, for example, would be somebody who would be in the right environment to be able to attract very large sums from individuals, but also from sort of family trusts and things like that. This is, this is different to grant making bodies. We, of course, must go after them as well to try and get the money needed uh, to do the, the, this vital research. But this is about trying to make sure that we 
in a sense, uh, at working at the appropriate level in the country and internationally, if necessary, to certainly somewhere I'd like to take the foundation is to work more internationally, if we can, uh, and uh, receive funds internationally um, in order to try and really nail the science about scarring. That all sounds amazing from a fundraising point of view. I'm interested in when you first encountered the foundation, what attracted you to it? What were your first impressions? What made you say yes to being a trustee? It's a really interesting question. My career in the army had two strands to it, uh, two very strong strands. And that was more by luck than by judgment. Certainly on my part, um, I think somebody had some very clever thinking behind it a long time ago. And those two strands were operations. I did 10 operational tours. I spent nearly two years in Afghanistan. I spent, um, I was in Iraq in 2003 um, and then did, you know, tours in Northern Ireland, Bosnia, Kosovo, Cyprus and so on. So I'm deeply fortunate that uh, from the time I joined the army till the time I left the army, I deployed and commanded troops in almost every single rank, um, from second lieutenant to uh, major general. That's the first strand. And out of that comes uh, a lot of understanding about leadership, but also a lot of understanding about soldiers. But also, of course, being um, alive to and witnessing uh, wounding and injury and um, the effects of conflict on individuals. The second strand, which I did from my early 30s all the way up to the end, was on people. Um, it was um, uh, in the military, we call it personnel. I was responsible progressively for larger and larger parts of the organization and their personnel. I, I started with officers. I then went to pure policy for officers and soldiers. I then went to the whole army. Um, I then went to the whole of defense. So, so I have a deep interest in people and a deep interest in operations and uh, the after effects of operations and what scar free does as part of its portfolio but the the conflict wound research center is part of the portfolio is look at how can in very simple terms how can i help any organization take wounded soldiers and put them back in the front line or give them if they can't go back into the front line give them the best possible life they can and we created a lot of wounded soldiers in Afghanistan and Iraq. It's, it's one of those really interesting, it's, it's a small sort of factoid that I enjoy, which is that in the First World War, for every person, one soldier who was wounded, one died. In the Second World War, we'd got, uh, thanks to penicillin, we'd got to about one, for every three or four wounded, one died. In Afghanistan, for every 15 wounded, one died. Our medical science was so good that we saved 14 of the 15 uh, that were wounded, whereas we would have saved, in the First World War, we would have saved seven. So so we've, we, we have, in effect, doubled our efficacy and our ability to save people. But that brings consequences, and the consequences of that are that people with wounds who would normally have, or well, who would have died 100 years ago, now are still living, and they need a quality of life that medical research can give. One of the issues is that in almost every single wound, not quite, but almost every single wound, there is scarring of some to greater or lesser extent. And therefore, if we as an organization, the Scar Free Foundation, can reduce the 
issues over scarring and actually ultimately remove scarring as a problem for those who have put their life on the line for our country, and that's where I particularly come from, then actually I would want to support something that does that. So I supported Scar Free because it had the ability to do that, and it has a vision to do that, to, to really help those who are wounded. And, of course, it's not just those wounded in, in battle. Um, it is people like the uh, Manchester bombing, the civilians, I suppose you could call them, but day-to-day people who were wounded in, in the Manchester bombing, which that's people who, had, who were going to, a, to the arena to, to go and listen to music. Yeah. And they were blown up. If we can help them as well, it, it offers a real opportunity to support society. So I think this this charity, why I was attracted to it and why I really believe in it is because this charity is doing something for the whole of society. Ultimately, it could be doing it for the whole of civilization. Uh, Eight billion people would benefit from the research that comes from this charity. But for me particularly, I feel passionately about soldiers, I always have, mm-hmm. that actually, um, and therefore sailors and aviators, if we can do something to help them, then actually it's worth it. Also, it's the ripple effect. We do something to help them, that knowledge, those treatments. They roll out into other hospitals, into different aspects of society, because, of course, there's conflict wound support for those who are wounded. There's the acute stage in battles with dressings. Uh, We're developing our understanding of the treatment of historic scars. And and then there are things like our learning in burns, in cleft, in cleft lip and palate, and all the things that are feeding into one thing, which is delivering scar-free healing. But the really exciting thing about that is that um, there are examples in the animal kingdom. There are even examples in in the human development, um, or development of humans from embryo, where there is no scarring. Scarring is a emergency response mechanism uh, that has evolved or um, uh, came about in, I think I'm right in saying, in all mammals, um, and most animals actually, but, but all mammals, as a mechanism for healing incredibly fast to try and get you back up and going before you become the victim of a, or you bleed to death. Um, and so scarring is, is, is a response mechanism because of the difficulties of, of living hundreds, millions of years ago. We don't need the same mechanism today because medical science allows us to heal more slowly. And therefore, it is, it's not necessarily inappropriate, but we can do better than that now. And there are some animals who have developed ways of doing that. And that's what's so exciting, that actually this isn't just a pipe dream. This is something which genuinely can happen because we can see examples of it in the animal kingdom. So now here you are, you've arrived, you're CEO. What would you like to do in your first 30 days at the foundation? Well, five of them are gone already. So, um, yeah. So, I think I think there's there's um, a couple of things I'd love to do. I, I want to, like anybody taking over, and I have lots of uh, experience of taking over new commands, if I can put it like that. I don't I don't treat this as a command, but it, into a new position. I want to make sure that the foundations are solid. I want to make sure that the bedrock is there. I want to make sure that actually the way we run the charity, and I've always respected that this is one of the most effectively run charities that I know um, and the most thoughtful charity that I know. I want to make sure that that isn't paper thin. I don't think it is. I've seen it as a trustee for seven years or something, but I but I want to double down on that and check it. I want to open up opportunities. I want to talk to people who the charity has never spoken to before about the possibilities of raising money, of interesting them in the 
story of becoming advocates for us at the right level. So I'm talking, for example, this morning I was talking to a hedge fund manager. Uh, um, I'm I'm talking to somebody who has made an awful lot of money through venture capitalism. These sorts of people who would who the charities don't traditionally go to, but their contacts, their uh, their people I've been put in touch with. Those are the sorts of people I want to get in touch with now and say, look, this is a really exciting opportunity to change the world. And you may have changed the world through your climate, uh, through your through your hedge fund or through your venture capitalism or whatever. But actually, you could change the world for eight billion people. So why wouldn't you want to do that? And I want to talk to people like that. So I want to start to build an interest in areas perhaps where the charity hasn't been before. And I want it to be fun for the people who work. Um, uh, in the charity, and I want. Oh. <laughs> and 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 I want. But the other thing I want to do is I want to understand the science. And I, as I say, I'm not, I'm not medical, but going to to a meeting with ambassadors and listening to their concerns really interesting alongside some of the greatest scientists in our country at the moment in this area um i think that's really exciting they're interesting people they're interesting subjects and i want i want other people to know about that i think that's an exciting place to be Yes, that meeting you went to was our form, function and feeling working group, which is working with a group of ambassadors to generate some really meaningful research projects which address their own life experience around living with scars. Because that's something we're really passionate about. And I'm glad you got to see that process. And I, and I think there's one, there's one other thing, which I mean, whether I do this in the first 30 days, but we've started the process is what's, uh, there's lots of analogies of what are the big rocks in your rucksack? Um, what is the big idea? Or what is the grand project? Um, I'm a very simple soul. And I, I like having something I can hang my hat on and say, that's what we're going to do in the next two years, three years. And identifying that as a research project, as a, um, this is what we're going to answer. One of the questions, it was, a, it was the base, I think the most clever way of tackling science. One of our, one of our uh, patients in the Kazovac Club asked the question, will I walk my daughter down the aisle? And for me, that was a brilliant encapsulation of the fear that they were aging uh, more quickly, the fear that their um, their wounds, and this was somebody who'd had both his legs amputated, the, the fear that that would somehow af- affect his body to a level that he wouldn't be able to walk his daughter down the aisle on prosthetics or not. And so we did a research program on that. Um, and actually we looked at the aging process and we, and, and from that, interestingly, comes different science as to why does scarring, um, age in a different way? Um, which wasn't part of the agenda at all. He wanted a simple question answered, but the way science, medical research science seems to work is lots of different answers came out of a simple question. It's that sort of thing that I'd like to try and, to build a, a what is the big idea this time that where we can turn around to saying people if you if you invest in us please do but if you invest in us this is the question we're going to answer or we're going to attempt to answer because there's no guarantees in this world um, and we're going to attempt to say actually that's the answer to your question that's that's the research answer and from that we'll spawn all sorts of other questions because it's never ending until we've got a solution to scarring and that's not going to happen it is going to happen in a generation, but it's going to take a generation. And a research question has to be a human question. If it's not, it hasn't got any relevance. The walking my daughter down the aisle question, it reminds me of um, Elizabeth, the young ambassador, who was talking about how she loves to go swimming, but sometimes she can't because of the tightness of her scars. It's like, how can we make her life better? It doesn't need to be complicated. It's just got to have the human being at the base of it all. 
And and the human being who is subject to scars is very unlikely, not not uh always the case, but very unlikely to have medical a medical background, um, or very unlikely to understand the medicine and the medical science behind it. And therefore actually what you've got to do is translate it into very simple English. So we've spoken a bit about your past association with the foundation. Um what has been the most rewarding aspect of your association thus far? I think most people would turn around and say that somebody who spent their entire career in a single area would be pretty boring. Um, I've spent my entire career in the army. I joined at 16. I, I left when I was 58. Um, so, you know, uh, quite a, a singular role. But I also think that the most interesting people in life are people who have a sort of a polymath approach to um, to life, which is to look for interesting things, to be curious about things. The thing which has given me the most rewarding of my association with Scar Free is absolutely the fact that I'm learning every single day about something I know nothing about. Learning about the Kazovac Club, learning about um, uh, the Conflict Wound Research Centre, learning about the science behind it. I'll never understand it, and I certainly wouldn't be able to, um, to be able to do it, but actually learning about how... Um, how scarring happens, why scarring happens. Um, I read Anthropology at University, which of course is all about the development of humankind um, and the study of humans. And so it is entirely logical to me that it was an evolutionary process, that um, not all evolutionary processes are still relevant. Um, you know, we, we have a tiny appendix, for example, because we still have an appendix, but we have a tiny appendix because we no longer need to eat grass, in, which is what the appendix was designed for. And so, um, and that's very, very simple medical and I think it's right but 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 the point is that um, what scar free has done is it's widened my horizons into understanding something about an area I had no idea about and I think that's brilliant fascinating and long may it continue um, because actually I think there's 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 opportunity here to be groundbreaking and a little small charity in 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 England groundbreaking world science. Well, that's quite exciting. So with this newfound knowledge, you're in a lift with a wealthy philanthropist and you have three uh, three killer facts to give them in 30 seconds. What would you say? Um, well, I would, I would ask them whether they know of anybody who has um, had an accident and been scarred and whether that affects them um, and try and build a personal connection to something that they may have experienced themselves. That's a double-edged question, because if the answer's no, then it makes it more difficult. Mm -hmm. But if the answer's yes, then you've got a much more willing participant. Um, the reality is that, you know, I think the UN reckons there are 150 million people walking around the world with very significant scarring. Um, the reality is 8 billion people on the world's planet uh, have the ability to be scarred, and therefore, actually, this is something which will affect the whole world. That's one fact. The second fact is scarring is extremely uncomfortable or can be extremely uncomfortable, um, major scarring. And I reckon, recognize I'm taking more than 20 seconds, but, but, um, that actually the reality is that a lot of people suffer undue pain and irritation through scarring. And we can solve that. And at the moment, the science is not good enough to solve it. So the NHS spends, I think the figure is £8 billion a year looking after these people. If we can solve that, we can save the NHS alone, let alone the German NHS and the Americans and the, and the French and everybody else's NHS, the equivalent of £8 billion a year. 
What a saving to the world that could be used for much better outcomes. And I suppose the third thing I would say is it's doable. It's possible. We can get there within a generation. Our chair, Professor Sir Bruce Keogh, talks about how there is a, a, a if you like, a, a coming together of all the science to actually make breakthroughs, which has only happened in the last four or five years. That's really exciting. So it's doable, it's massive, and it'll save a lot of money. Yes, exactly, because that eight billion that the NHS spends, that's just actually on chronic wounds. It's not on other conditions that cause scarring. It's not on burns, not on cleft lip and palate, it's not on trauma. It's on things on like um diabetic ulcers. But what we learn from one, we can learn from another. Okay, so the Scar Free Foundation is a small charity operating in a competitive field against big charities like Cancer Research UK, the British Heart Foundation, etc. What do you think are our biggest challenges? Well, there's always a challenge in raising money sufficiently to be able to do the research you need to do. There's there's far more research that people want to do than we have the money to be able to deal with. Um, and that's true across the whole of the medical research establishment. It's It's... It's not that there's enough money. There's never enough money to do because every time you finish a piece of research, you probably end up having to do another piece of research and that costs money as well. So um, one of our challenges is having a high enough and a big enough profile to be able to raise the sorts of money that we need to do to re- realise our ambition. But there's there's another side to it, which is that uh, scarring has different – internal scarring, external scarring um, uh, uh, is the same – the same process within the body. The body only has one process for scarring, but it's called something different internally. Usually it's, um, uh, uh, and I think it's called fibrosis, but I don't know. There are other charities and there are other research centers looking at things like fibrosis. So, so it's a question of being distinctive. And what makes us distinctive is drawing the, the science of external scarring, internal scarring, the cause of scarring, and um, ameliorating the effect of scarring altogether. Mm-hmm. We we fire lasers at scars which help those scars. I don't think anybody else is doing that. People are doing it, but what we're doing is firing lasers at scars to understand why the laser improves the scar because nobody really knows that and if we can unpick that the you know the cellular activity that the laser stirs up in these historic wounds if we can unpick that then that's advancing knowledge. And that's a brilliant thing to do. That's our rigorous approach. So, so I mean, you, you talk about a rigorous approach. We, we, we meet the highest standards of medical research. But, but there's, a, there's a really important point here, which is what we do is we bring communities together that would not otherwise necessarily think in terms of bringing together, which is why something like the Conflict Wound Research Centre, which is the one I know best, of course, um, is, is, is so powerful that it's bringing together um, both dealing with scars preventing scars and looking at the causes of scars all into one place. And that isn't being done by anybody else. No, it's not. And it's also the diverse disciplines of science that we're bringing together and the clinicians and the psychologists. Nobody else is doing that. And those who have been scarred. And that's really, really important aspect that actually we listen to our ambassadors. Yeah, nothing should be done without them. Finally, looking ahead, what are the foundation's plans for the future? Well, I suppose I've, I, I've sort of answered that. Um, uh, for me, um, what we need to do is build the platform to launch, to try and accelerate the um, uh, the scar-free healing, which we know is 
proverbially around the corner. And and in so doing, we will change the face of science, which would be just amazing. What's the plan for the future? The plan for the future is, of course, to raise money, to, to be able to spend it on research. Um, and we shouldn't be shy about that. But it's also to make sure that the research that is done is the best possible research for understanding the process of scarring and how we can therefore stop it, understanding the effects of scarring and therefore do something about it to ameliorate the uh, the pain and the itch and everything else that goes with scarring and understand what it is like to live with scars and therefore do something about that so so absolutely we need to understand all the science around it but the psychology around it as well and i think that'll take time but ultimately it also takes money and we'll have to raise some money to be able to do it richard thanks very much pleasure absolute pleasure If you like this podcast, subscribe and share. All episodes from the first series and this one are available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Amazon, Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms. You can find out more about the Scarfree Foundation at scarfree.org.uk and on Facebook, on Twitter at Scarfree World and on Instagram. Thanks very much for listening. More soon. Bye. (laughs) 